It's time for JT the Brick. But I'm a sports talk host. I talk about multiple topics. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Bill Foley gets what I do. And Mark Davis gets what I do. I bring passion and energy for every second I'm on the radio. We're going big today. You, the Raider Nation, have an opinion. Sound off like you got a pair. I can't get you much more than that. JT the Brick. So let me repeat that again. The Jelly Ellis era of this team is coming to an end. We need guys who are faster, in better shape, who can attack the football. Man, I never envisioned you'd be sitting next to me as that ridiculously obnoxious, aggressive openings. But he gets what I do. Genius. We want you to win. You can help my life by winning and making my life better. We've lost that sense from a pocket of fans. You got that? I think you all get that. And now, I love it. Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT in studio today with Bobby. Good to have you today on the flagship of the Silver and Black, the city, which is now the home of the Stanley Cup. Hopefully for more than a year and so much going on. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. We're guiding everybody to our proud partner, PT's uh, Best Happy Hour in Town. They're still celebrating with their partnership with us in the Vegas Golden Knights. And I still think people want to get together for happy hour. They want to get together for happy hour, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. And they want to talk about the Golden Knights. Why not? It's a great topic to talk about. And I feel like people are coming down just a little bit from this euphoria in the Stanley Cup. They would not be coming down from this if they were in Canada. <laughs> they, would, they would be having a national month holiday. And I think we blew the roof off here in Vegas. I think we showed the rest of the world how we do it in Vegas. And I'm still excited to talk about it. My, matter of fact, my wife yesterday, because my son was at a signing working, it got an autographed Jack Eichel jersey. And my son said, Dad, do you want to take your jersey? Because quick funny story, maybe not funny, the Golden Knights, when they came in first year, asked me, what's your favorite number? I said nine. That was my Little League number as a kid. So they brought me a JT the Brick authentic jersey. And my son said, Dad, do you want it signed? I said, no, I don't want it signed by Jack Eichel. It's my jersey. I'm going to wear it, and I don't want to wear my jersey to games when a fan with a signature on the back. No problem. So my wife yesterday had her jersey autographs, uh, Stanley Cup champs by Jack Eichel. So I want to thank Jack Eichel for that. Very nice. And I think she'll wear it. I think we should frame it or whatever, but there's a lot of memorabilia going on in this town. Wink, wink. There's a lot of the amount of money Jonathan Marcheseau is going to make on the books, there's taxes and all that, is insane. Everything that Marcheseau signs over the next couple of weeks literally is Con Smythe. Uh, Stanley Cup champ, all of that. Uh, the hat trick game against Edmonton. He's signing pucks that go back months just saying hat trick against Edmonton. The natural hat trick. Every time he signs a puck, a jersey, anything, cash register. These guys make a lot of money in memorabilia, man. A lot. And it, as long as they don't oversaturate the market and... It's really a big market here globally for the Golden Knights because hockey fans are all over the world. A lot of players on this team from European or Canadian descent. So you got those markets wide open. Everybody wants a signature. Anybody with the sports bar want to have a signed Mark Stone jersey right in town. So these guys, because I know this, are working their tail off because it's work. People are providing them the memorabilia and they're signing in a matter of seconds. And they're signing warehouses full of... Of memorabilia. This business is remarkable. It's remarkable what these athletes are able to make, and it might as well be our guys for the Vegas Golden Knights, so they're feeling really good right now. There's a lot of NBA news we're going to get to. 
I only have two interviews today, and I think they're going to be really good. They're long interviews that will come up. First, bottom of the hour, America's favorite sports gambler, Bill Krakenberger. We talk about once a month here about gambling, sports gambling, but he does it a little bit differently. He's so good. He's going to tell us how to tip. He's going to tell us what happens in the casinos. I can ask him about a casino buffet from Atlantic City to Vegas, how to tip the valet or not, how to make money in between seasons. And that's a good topic today if you want to call in on this is how do some of you gamblers, how do you handle yourself gambling? And this is one of the topics we're going to talk about as I preview it. When there's no football and there's no NBA and there's no hockey, how do you keep your gambling buzz going? And unfortunately, in Las Vegas, we have the biggest addiction globally in gambling. We have video poker. So we don't, you don't have to bet. But there are so many people in this marketplace who are involved with video poker. Our partners are here on the radio, so I'm not knocking it. But that's what people do. Instead of betting sports, there's no NBA game on tonight. Man, I'll take 50 or 100 or 500. I'll go play video poker for entertainment. That's not me. But I support it if you enjoy it. And I'm going to talk to Crack about what do the gamblers in sports do now. Because if you want to bet college baseball, okay. But when you bet and you don't know about the sport and it's not your expertise and you're doing it for entertainment only, you're going to lose your ass every time. Like for baseball, Dave Koken, friend of the show, is a brilliant baseball gambler. So I follow him on Twitter every day and I don't bet. If he puts out a gambling pick on baseball, let it be known that Dave Koken spent all night, was on computers trying to give you a bet, and he's very transparent. He'll tell you if he loses the bet. But then there's other people popping up now that are giving you bets on UFC, and they're giving you bets on all these other sports that they know nothing about because that's their job, and they have to find a way to bring, bring in income. These touts and the people that you see now on your apps who know nothing about sports, but they feel like they got to give you a golf bet. You see those shenanigans? I'm going to talk about that with Crack, too. All of a sudden, you know, people that gals, gals, and guys on my Twitter feed giving you, giving you a golf bet? How are you talking? You know nothing about golf. You know nothing about L.A. Country Club. No one's ever seen it. And you're out there telling us how many units to bet on golf? That is running rampant right now. We are in the wild, wild west of gambling when it comes to sports radio. And as I said, we have a couple of uh, former employees here who I think still work here, Mitch Moss and Paulie over at VEASAN. They're very good. They have probably the best show maybe in the format of gambling. But most of the other ones, and I know a couple other guys, Gil Alexander, I have friends in this business, but most of it around the country sucks. It's terrible programming. The program directors don't know what the hell they're doing. And the kids who host these gambling shows have no money. They have no money, and they're telling you what to bet. So this is going to get cleaned up. I talked to Bobby about it. It might take five or ten years to clean this up, where then there'll be other guys who've been in, gals been in the business and have been in, in the business a while, and they'll have a reputation, and then they'll just do a gambling podcast or a show one hour a day, and you'll get good information. Now, you tune in and you get some 24-year-old guy telling you to bet on, and you go, wait a second, how do you have any money to bet and tell me what to bet on? They feel like they have to give advice out in a genre that they don't know anything about. So Crack's going to talk. He wants to talk about that. It's going to be a good interview at the bottom of the hour. Top of next hour, Vinny Bonsignor. Uh, I wanted to talk to Vinny today about his Raider mailbag. I think it's a really good segment, and it's in the paper today, where Vinny asked his listeners 
what they are, the readers especially, what they're most concerned about. And he gives you honest answers here. And Vinny, you know, he's a bedrock here at our station here, and he's an unbelievable insider. That's not easy for Vinny because there's so much Raider fan on Raider fan crime going on. We should have our own jail cell hill at the radio station where Raider fans are yelling at Raider fans and Raider radio hosts because their world isn't perfect. They don't wake up with a bed of roses and they don't have a Super Bowl in their hand. We all want to win a Super Bowl. We want the same thing to happen to the Raiders that happened to the Golden Knights. And Vinny goes right into the belly of the beast and he'll answer the questions of the fans, which I'll do right now, but it seems like our phones have been broke for a month. Everybody's just sleeping from noon to two other than me. I'll answer any question you have on the Raiders. Any question I always have on the Raiders. You might not like the answer, but I don't know. I don't, I, I'll answer it, but Vinny... Vinny's a journalist. I'm kind of an employee fan. Kind of, We don't even know what I do. I have radio shows, and I work for the team. I'm a fan of the team. I want them to win. I'm biased, and I make that clear every day. I'm not sitting in the front row of these press conferences asking deep questions. I talk to the coach every week, and we try to recap the game and look ahead for the next game. But if you got a question in regards to the Raiders offseason and you've been following me, this is year 25 for me with the team. I've always been very transparent about what I know. I told you I hung out with Jimmy Garoppolo a couple of times last week. Other than looking like better looking than George Clooney and a rock star, he's walking around with sneakers, look fine to me. But I put the disclaimer here, I'm not a trainer, I'm not a doctor. But he's walking around the M Resort, he's walking around the hockey game, not riding around in a scooter, not with crutches. I think he'll be all right in six weeks. That's all I got. I'm hoping he's going to be all right. If he's not, then we'll pivot. And we'll move in that direction. The one thing that I don't like to do, which I'm not a big fan of, is I don't like to talk about players who aren't going to make the team. That's the only difference between me and a lot of other people in the Raiderverse is I don't want to spend my time on the radio with you was so valuable to have five minutes of your attention, let alone two hours. I don't spend a lot of time on a camp, you know, battle between a sixth and seventh or eighth receiver because we're going to be here all year. And I'm going to be talking about Devontae mostly. Right, I'm going to be talking about Devontae pretty much all the time because he's one of the best receivers of all time. So if you got a question on the offseason with the Raiders, that's where we're in right now. I am not going to force Raider topics. Forcing Raider topics, what's your favorite Super Bowl moment? Go ahead and do it. Knock yourself out. Who's your favorite player of all time? What's your favorite jersey number? Not here. Not here. Because we try to dive into it and really solve some problems here on how this team can get better. And some of those questions are tough. Some people don't like the coach. I believe in the coach. Some people don't like the quarterback. They like the former quarterback. I'll answer all those questions point blank. But you got to call in and you got to tweet. 702-365-9200 at JT the Brick. So today, what's the topic we're going to get for the monologue? Well, Raiders related, it's going to be Vic Tafer and Deshaun Reed's column, which was really good. And I tweeted it out this morning. I was up super early today. Got the in-laws in town. Took the dog out at like 5.30 in the morning looking on the internet for some show prep, and they put out the column, Raiders 53-man roster projection. Who will survive the wide receiver competition? Well, I said, man, I'm going to click on that at The Athletic and read it. And basically, Deshaun Reed and Vic Tafer gave their projections. A lot of it was similar, but a lot of, there were a couple of position groups, including the wide receiver and on defense, where they differed. And I said, that's a good topic today because I think every Raider fan in the month of June heading into July – would like to at least discuss who's going to be an impact guy. Instead of looking at and projecting the practice squad guys, which I can do but I don't want to do, I'd rather talk about the guy who that can come in as a first, 
you know, they're, they're the draft pick this year, not only make the team, because they got drafted, they're going to make the team, but really have a big year. Because the fans in Denver aren't talking about this guy. Uh, the fans in Seattle and New Orleans aren't talking about this. As I continually preach to you, the Raider hatred around the country has a lot to do with the fact that no one knows anything about the Raiders. If you say, hey, tell me something about the Raiders, they'll say Al Davis, Jim Plunkett, or Devontae Adams. They don't know the roster. They don't know the depth. They know Mad Max Crosby, but they don't know pretty much anybody. They don't know Michael Mayer is a great tight end. He's never played a game and all that. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on this in the monologue because as I looked at it today, as Vic and Tashawn did a deep dive on all of this, they opened up with Garoppolo should be able to recover in time for the season after undergoing foot surgery in March. But unless, and here's the big one, but unless he's better than Derek Carr this season, his signing will still stand out as a questionable move. I said, ooh, that's a, good, that's a lot of meat on that bone, Bobby. So I've been comfortable saying that if Jimmy Garoppolo plays at the same level of Derek Carr, if you want to call it a wash, I'm good with that. Derek was a very good player. Very good quarterback in this league. Multiple pro bowler. I just think Jimmy Garoppolo is better in the red zone, and I think he's going to be more efficient in this playbook. Derek Carr might be more efficient with New Orleans. His numbers might be a little bit lower because he put up some big yardage numbers with the Raiders and had some good weapons. But in New Orleans, Derek might win more games because everybody left the NFC to go to the AFC. It's a much easier road for Derek Carr to make the playoffs in the NFC South than Jimmy Garoppolo in the AFC West. And a lot of fans are going to be hypnotized by that topic. That's going to be their big topic all year long. If the Raiders are 2-3 and three and New Orleans is 4-1, and one, everybody's going to yell at me. They're going to yell at me. And I'm going to have to sit there and go, hey, good for Derek. He's 4-1. and one. Hopefully Jimmy gets us back to 500 next week. And that'll be really what I talk about. But then the big issue becomes, will he be healthy or not? And everybody, including these gentlemen, believe, yeah, he should be here by training camp. I'll ask Vinny Bonsignor about that in about an hour. He should be. Why wouldn't he be ready? Training camp's like five weeks away. He had his procedure months ago. And there's been all the, a month in between. Like, this isn't a nine to ten week injury. I don't think it is. So he should be ready to go. Went to running back. And then we got to Josh Jacobs. So here's what they have. Josh Jacobs, Amir Abdullah, Zamir White, Britton Brown. I'm fine with that. No one touches the ball other than Josh. <laughs> well, no one touches the ball other than Josh. So I'm, I'm okay with that. But I think Josh is a question mark because he hasn't signed the situation with his tender. So we don't know what's going to happen here. I'd like to see a little bit more Zamir White. Josh wants to be the leading rusher in the league, right? And that's important. Let him do it. But if he's not and we win more games, season ticket holder here, I don't care if Zamir White gets another 40 touches. He should. Why the hell they draft him? That draft pick could have been used for a linebacker who's now another year in who's better than Zamir White. It's not hard to be better than Zamir White. He doesn't play. That could have been a linebacker developed into maybe a player better than Divine Diablo. I don't know. So in regards to running back, I'm cool with what they said. They said others, Brandon Bolden, Austin uh, Walter there. And I looked at this, and, and they wrote, both wrote. This is a dual combination, really well-written column by Deshaun Reed and Vic Tafer. The Raiders kept five running backs last year, but it proved to be pretty unnecessary as Jacobs took the lion's share of the snaps. Very accurate. Why'd you have all these guys? 
you, you could have had better guys on defense. The defense was soft as tissue paper last year. One of these guys not touching the ball, I'd rather would have had another linebacker. But at the time, why do you think Josh Jacobs played in Canton, Ohio in the Hall of Fame game? At the time, none of us thought that Josh Jacobs would lead the league in rushing. I didn't have one caller on the flagship preseason say, Josh is going to lead the league in rushing. No one. So that was an insurance policy to have those guys. Now, maybe this is the year you got to carry the extra linebackers because we don't know what's going on with Josh. He hasn't signed yet, but I'm assuming he's going to sign the franchise tag unless they come to terms on a contract extension. Fullback, Jakob Johnson, he's fine. They want a fullback here. Now we get the receivers. Now this is good. Uh, this is what Deshaun Reed has as the six receivers. Adams, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Renfro, Trey Tucker, DeAndre Carter, Philip Dorsett. I agree with that. Vic Tafer has Adams, Myers, Tucker, Carter, Dorsett, and Cam Sims. Sims. And Cam Sims, coming over from the nation's capital, looks like a beast. So it seems like it's going to come down to Dorsett or Cam Sims. And then the others are Keelan Cole, uh, DJ Turner. And again, players who are going to fight for that last position or be on the practice squad or picked up by another team. And the analysis here, this, uh, this column's from The Athletic, Vic believes the Raiders will ultimately trade Renfro. Whoa! Okay, I'm going to read that. No way they cut him like Carr, right? Well, I've, I've always assumed on this show that Renfro is in, in play potentially for a trade if they get an equal player back who can start here. And that, to me, would be a starting linebacker in the league. Starting linebacker, middle linebacker, not a project. But the more Hunter is here, the more I'd like to see Hunter stay because I think this offense could stay on the field longer with Hunter Renfro and all these other great, not good, great receivers. So I fall in the category that Hunter's still here. Hunter's still here. Let's keep him. I'd like to see him play because I think Hunter on third and four, oh, my God, how do you cover Hunter Renfro on third and four? You got a double team on Devontae. You got single coverage on Mayer, the super tight end. And then you got Jacoby who's as good as Hunter in the slot. I mean, you got to pick your poison here. That's why I like Hunter there. Tight ends, obvious. Michael Mayer, uh, Austin Hooper, O.J. Howard. I'm not even going to give you the analysis there. The offensive line, Colt Miller, Dylan Parham, Andre James, Alex Barr, Illuminor, Thayer Mumford, Brandon Parker, uh, Van Rotten. And, and look, they, they, they're off by one guy here. They're just, they pretty much agree with everything here. But the analysis was the Raiders brought back the starting offensive line. That closed out last season, but it's still worth watching the right side. Mumford and Parker could push Illuminor for the starting job. You better believe that. I'll go one step further, and I don't write for the Athletic. I want to see a new right tackle. I'm good. I like these guys. I'm friends with Brandon Parker. I think Illuminor can play. I'd rather have him at right guard. But you better believe there could be a right tackle that gets cut as they're paring down a roster, and he is ready to go, and he's a right tackle that you've heard before because he played in the Pro Bowl. That's what Kansas City does. Why don't we start doing that? All Kansas City does every year is lose two offensive linemen, bring two in, and they go to the Super Bowl. So, again, I don't think this offensive room, line room, is bad. I think they're above average in some positions with Colt Miller, but I don't think they're done. Defensive line, Crosby, Bilal Nichols, Jerry Tillery, Chandler Jones. You know, Wilson, you look at this group, Neil Farrell, Byron Young, this good group. I really think it's a good group. Caveat, Chandler Jones has got to be on the field leaner. He lost some weight, 
which is great. His, his brother is the greatest UFC fighter, arguably, of all time. So their weight and their, their ability, John Bone Jones and Chandler Jones, if they go up 5 or 10 pounds, they cut weight. But I think Chandler's going to p- be playing with lesser weight this year, which is going to be great. Uh, the analysis is fantastic. Jones is leaner and meaner as he hopes to avoid the slow start he had last season, which I chronicled last season on the pregame show with Eric Allen every game. I said he doesn't have his legs. Oh, my God, he's like a boxer. It's first, second, third, fourth round, fit five games. He has nothing. And then he found his legs midway season, played pretty well at the end. He, he secured the edge at times, but he's got to do a lot better than that. Oh, linebackers. Bobby, get ready to dump me here. You know me. I, I, I grew up with Lawrence Taylor, who was a linebacker but played on the outside. Ray Lewis, Ray Nitschke. There's a guy by the name of Matt Millen, four Super Bowls. Linebackers here, Divine Diablo, Robert Spillane. Masterson, Darian Butler, and Amari Bernie. I'm hoping for more with Bernie. He's a good young draft pick here. Uh, Diablo, everybody's saying, is the guy to watch. They, they trust him more. We'll see. That is not a great linebacker room. That is not. That's not a great linebacker room in recent Raider history, let alone the greatness of the Raiders. So that group is going to be really important that we talk about. And then finally, the cornerbacks. I think the Raiders did a pretty good job. Dave Ziegler did a hell of a job of bringing back guys who were battle-tested that he didn't dump and say they were Mayock guys, get rid of them all. No, he looked at some of them and brought some of them back. Uh, Duke Shelley, Jacorian Bennett, Nate Hobbs, David Long Jr., Brandon Faison, and Tyler Hall is getting a lot of attention. That's good for two, two reasons. One, I'm a Nate Hobbs guy. I think he could play every, every down. You don't have to take him off the field. Uh, we know that Jacorian Bennett's going to play. He was drafted high, but he, he's going to get burnt in his first year a couple of times, but he's a speed demon. And I believe that the Raiders are going to bring in Peters or some other cornerback. I think that a Casey Hayward-type guy, someone who's going to be out there, I think the Raiders will get it started there. I'm not worried about the corners. I was horrified by the corners last year. I was. Uh, again, post-game show, me, taking the phone calls, nobody else. It was rough last year in that secondary. I think they are vastly improved. And I think the competition... Uh, the analysis, the list doesn't include Marcus Peters or whatever veteran the Raiders hopefully bring in for training camp. I think they're going to bring in a veteran. I'm assuming that. But I was wrong last year. Last year I said they were going to bring in an offensive lineman veteran. They didn't. So I'm predicting again. I'm doubling down. They're going to get a right tackle or bring in one, and they're going to bring in a cornerback. I love what they did at safety. Epps comes in. Trayvon Merrick is playing for his life and his job. I think he'll play better. Chris Smith the second can play. I like what they have here also. I think there's some depth here overall with Palomalu. They're going to have a nice – it's going to be fun at training camp and during the preseason games to watch the preseason develop with these young players and to see who makes the team. And then the specialists are great. Carlson Cole, they're going to be fine there. So they, the, the Raiders had arguably the best kicking game in the league. That's important, man. You want to win games. You want to win playoff games. So the monologue normally brought to you by PTs was actually brought to you by Vic Tafer. And to Sean Reed, I just give credit to where credit's due. They saved me this morning. I'm not saying, what the hell am I going to talk about today? I said, this column's great. I just gave you 23 minutes on it. Let's hear from you. And again, we don't have to go deep dive position battles, but what was in that column that interests you the most in regards to why the team could be better? Because here's my big point. We have to, on this station, hope that the team's going to be better. Because on KOA in Denver... Okay, and if you look at all the stations in Kansas City, 610 in Kansas City, they hate us. They hate you, the fans. 
They hate Josh McDaniels. They hate the organization, and they're shredding us. So we better on our own flagship station have fans who call in or tweet in who are a little bit positive and optimistic about what's going forward. If you're not optimistic, that makes for some pretty good radio because we can go back and forth on that. But again, it comes down to where you think the team here is. What's today's date? June 20th. June 20th, where you think this team is uh, before, I think, the end of July. You know, the end of July when training camp starts. So we'll see what happens there. All right, so what we're going to do here is we're going to come in. Bill Krakenberg is going to join us in a few minutes, and then we're going to try to get Kerry Bullbolts, who just got back to us here from the Golden Knights in. So we're going to do that. So let's get out of here. Let's see if anybody calls today, Bobby, or you're going to have to go in and unplug the phone and plug it back in because it's been shameful from noon to two. And again, I, I don't think I'm intimidating anybody. I think I'm being very nice. I have my John voice, not my JT voice, but... Everybody didn't get the memo, man, that I'm working this summer, man. We got some days off. I'm doing some fill-in work. I'm doing some other things. But we want to hear from you in the Raider Nation. Crack will join us next on Gambling. You don't want to miss it. Bennett looking cross side, Stone intercepts. This time he sends it down in a waffle and go into the goal. It's a hat trick in the clincher. Mark Stone, the captain, makes it 8-3 Golden Knights with six minutes to go in the third period. Oh, I can hear that every day. As a matter of fact, we're going to play it every day on the Knights Radio flagship affiliate right here next to us on Raider Nation Radio. Kerry Bullbolt's kind enough to join us, the president of the Vegas Golden Knights. And Kerry, congratulations. Great to talk to you again. What's it been like for you and your family since winning the Stanley Cup? Well, JT, first of all, thank you for uh, playing that. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't get old for me either. <laughs> Uh, hat trick on, you know, game clinching Stanley cup. I mean, it was just amazing, amazing evening. Uh, and it's been a whirlwind ever since. So we're, you know, today's, a, today's Tuesday, obviously it's a week out from when we won, uh, the Stanley cup championship. And it's just been absolutely crazy. As soon as we, uh, you know, won on uh, Tuesday night, we had of course some celebration, which was, uh, you know, really, really fun. Got to, uh, enjoy that with my wife, Melissa, and some family that was uh, that was in town, and then we went uh, went to work on planning for the parade, which was this past Saturday. Uh, it was a mammoth undertaking with our partners at Metro, our partners at uh, T-Mobile Arena, and uh, of course uh, all of the folks at the city, the county, uh, and it was just uh, an amazing, amazing parade. Uh, super proud of the work that went into it, and uh, it ended with just an unbelievable ceremony at Toshiba Plaza. And uh, our crew just knocked it out of the park, and it was uh, just an amazing, amazing night. We were a little tired on Sunday, <laughs> but it, uh, uh, it was just incredible. Yeah, so, it, uh, you know, very, very proud to be a part of it. Yeah, Kerry, what's fascinating to me is how you put the parade together. I believe it was the only sports championship parade at night that I can recall. And what was the undertaking like? You start it before sunset. You know it's going to go late at Toshiba Plaza. You need the safety and support of Metro, emergency workers, fire, everybody to be on the same page. you got Governor Lombardo and everybody. Can you take, take us a little bit behind the scenes of those late-night phone calls and decisions that had to be make, made to put on such a beautiful event? 
Yeah, no, it was. It was quite a bit. And, you know, first of all, the just in terms of the why with, you know, Las Vegas Boulevard and the Strip is, uh, you know, it's iconic in terms of um, its its view and the lighting. And, you know, it's just amazing. And so we really wanted to to start it, you know, to finish it in the evening where we could get some of those iconic views uh, uh, out. And so that's why we started it when we did. And uh, in terms of just all the coordination, you know, I, I'll let you in on a little secret. We we didn't just start planning uh, last Tuesday night after we won. We had to do a little bit of planning on the front end. Of course, we didn't talk to George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon about it. They're they're pretty, uh, you know, they're pretty focused on just what's happening on the ice. Uh, but we did have to lay some of the groundwork with our partners at Metro and, of course, uh, you know, some of the other uh, folks that helped contribute to the evening. So we laid the groundwork uh, as best we could. And then once we uh, once we got to that final uh, you know final ending of the Stanley Cup final game last Tuesday, uh, we started pushing buttons, and it was just a lot of logistics. And like I said, really proud of our our team and our partners that helped contribute. Uh, it was a safe event, and yeah. it came off without a hitch. And uh, really, really, really was a lot of fun for our players, our player families, and of course, uh, you know, all of the VGK fans throughout uh, throughout the valley. Kerry Bullbolts joins us, the president of the Vegas Golden Knights. Really interesting. I know how important the marketing side and your corporate partners and the fans. We've talked a number of times about how you're involved with the community and your partners are expected to be, too. But you got a lot of them. And looking back on the birth of this team, Vegas Strong, what happened on 1 October, which I thought everybody pointed it out, that horrific event, but how important it was for that to be a driving force, even at the parade where it was talked about for obvious reasons. What can you say about your partners and the business leaders in this community? Because I know this from having a national show. Everybody's talking about this around the country because it only took six years in hockey. It could take forever. But the way you got the business side up to speed with the hockey development and the players, let's give some credit to the people who work under you and behind the scenes for that. Yeah, no, for for sure. And JT, I appreciate you saying that. You know, obviously we've got 23 players that that kind of make it happen on the ice, um, but we've got several hundred people uh, working behind the scenes uh, with uh, with our business organization and, of course, our facilities to help grow the game here at City National and Lifeguard, and of course, our new arena for our American Hockey League team over in Henderson with the Dollar Loan Center. Um, it all it all has to come together and, and work together for the bigger common goal. And, and of course, uh, you know, it wasn't just those 23 players celebrating a world championship and a Stanley cup title. Um, it was really the entire organization. And I love that we behind it, um, uh, because it, uh, really is a part of it. Uh, matter of fact, today, uh, the Stanley cup's been in our offices here and all of, uh, all of our staff has had the opportunity to come and get a personal photo with it. Uh, all of their staff, uh, all of our staff was able to, uh, join us in the parade. So we had over 600 people on our parade uh, route uh, the other night between the players, their families, and all of our front office and their families, scouts, uh, just everybody. And, you know, they talk about how it takes a village to accomplish greatness. Um, to see all of those folks come together in one place um, as we were staging the parade on Saturday evening uh, really was special because there were a lot of people because of the way our our schedules are maybe they had never even had the chance to, to even meet. Um, and it uh, really was a sense of pride to see it, uh, see it all come together. Wrapping it up with Gary Bullbolts, the president of the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, I emceed uh, with a co-host, the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame, and you know everybody was talking. That could have been a viewing party. 
It had a chance to be a viewing party with an award ceremony during intermissions, and you got a lot of friends behind the scenes there. And I'm on stage that Friday night, and as soon as I mention the team in the cup, the place roared, and other presenters were talking about it and winners throughout the night, people who got inducted. And it was just great to see. You know how important that room is and other rooms in town, that everybody was just so happy for you, for you personally, the players, Mr. Foley. And that's important because, as everyone said, from my boss, Mark Davis, and the position you're in and others before getting professional teams here, it's just easier to work in Las Vegas. Construction, getting deals done, politics. And I think you're a great example of this. You play nice with everybody. Everybody's happy for you. You run a big business. Now you have a Stanley Cup, and I sense you're going to do it again. You want to go back and continue to win cups. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Obviously, our head coach... uh... Bruce Cassidy on Saturday night. He started. It was him that started the Cup in two chants or, or back to back. Yeah. Me. Um, and uh, and so uh, that was really kind of fun to see. But I appreciate you saying that about the community. Uh, this is a can do count, can do town, and uh, we felt that from day one when we got here, and we've been so fortunate from that perspective. And actually, I'm sorry that I couldn't make uh, the event on mm. on Friday night. I was planning to be there and. There were just so many logistics yeah. that we still had to get uh, get coordinated that I ultimately had to do make the decision to stay here at the office and work throughout Friday evening. But uh, definitely the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame is close to close to our heart with the display there at mm-hmm. uh, at Dollar Loan Center and and uh, it's such a terrific event and I'm glad that uh, in a strange way I'm glad that it worked out that we yeah. didn't uh, cause any distractions for that event because I really uh, really didn't. Uh, wanted to conflict with it. So glad it went well. Yes, it did. Hey, Kerry, I'll let you go. Thanks again. Let's catch a dinner when things settle down. I don't know when it's going to settle down for you. It'll settle down for me. So I look forward to seeing you out socially with your wife again and celebrating this cup with you. Well deserved. Yeah, you too, JT. We're, you know, we're only about 10 weeks out from the, dropping the puck for uh, next year with preseason. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's going to be a crazy. Uh, fast summer, but we'll try and uh, enjoy it along the way. You got it. There he is, everybody. Kerry Bullbolt's the president of the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights. Love that. Uh, thanks to Nate and the crew for everybody setting that up. That was a nice surprise. Just happened as we were in the middle of the monologue that he was willing to come on, which is great. Now I bring in America's favorite sports gambler, the great Bill Krakenberger. Crack, great to talk to you. You never take a summer off as a sports gambler, right? You're always looking for value. You're looking for deals. You're looking for futures. How are you, my friend? Good. Thanks for having me on. You're right. Uh, just just last week, I was uh, out of town. I spent a lot of the summer out of town, actually, because I get down on these uh, futures that DraftKings, FanDuel's, and the other markets have. And uh, literally, uh, I haven't told no one this because it's just not, not no one's business, but I'm, I'm going to tell you. I couldn't bring enough money to the East Coast, and I brought a large amount of money, and and, and I ran out of money. I, there's that many good futures, but you know you're tiring your money up six to eight weeks, six to eight months, sometimes nine, ten months even. And uh, but there's just so many, there's so much good value at the sports books, and I never know what they're going to take from year to year. You know, uh, they they change their limits every year. I was so shocked to walk into Foxwoods and. You know, DraftKings this year was they they were taking you know a thousand, two thousand dollars a future and not moving the line, betting them over and over, which means I'm betting you know up to five thousand each one. And you know, I had a lot of money to, to I had a lot of different bets to make and literally ran out of money. That's funny. I'll tell you a quick story. I, so I now I have to I ran out of money. I said, well, I, I bank in the bank. It's about a half hour away, forty five minutes away. I go to the bank 
and they wouldn't even give me no money. They said anything over ten thousand, you have to order a week in advance. We mm. have become a nation of uh, shock for myself. I have money keeping in the checking account, and uh, I couldn't even get my own money. So un- unfortunately, I couldn't even get down more than I wanted because I had to get the bank a week notice to get you know twenty five thousand out. Wow, Bill Krakenberger joins us. Crack win. So. Tell me more about the futures, because I'm in the stock market, and at times, you know, I'll hold on to a stock three, four years before there's a value, and I think it's time to sell. In sports gambling, when you bet a future on an NFL team, say it's Jacksonville or an NBA team, if you like Milwaukee next year, you bet that future, you don't get any return on it until it cashes, and if you lose, you had no value because that money was tied up. But tell our listeners your rate of return and why you pound these futures and the value you see tying, tying up your money. As you know, I'm one of the most transparent people. I'll tell you right now, I don't know anyone that has lost, that's right, L-O-S-T, lost more money in the market than myself. Everything I do in the market, I just lose. So uh, Bill Krakenberger should stay in your own lane sports betting because I've lost hundreds of thousands over the years in the the regular stock market. But as far as sports market, you're right. Uh, They have no chance to beat me because, you know, they they put certain bets up uh, like, uh, you know, like, like division wins. So they'll put the division wins against team versus team, uh, like Chicago Bears is one of the ones I bet, for example. So I'm, I bet that Chicago Bears will win two games or less. So three I lose, two I win in their own division, and I'm taking plus 210. So that, that's a really good mathematical bet, ROI, uh, on these bets. They're usually somewhere between 6 and 12%, I'll say. Now, the last couple of years I've ran extremely lucky uh, some of the markets are up to 25%. Last year, I ran 20% just on these type of bets. So, unfortunately, you have to wait until the NFL season, though, is over. So, I'll have to wait until, you know, the end of December uh, before I get paid on something like this. And I'm tying up on this particular bet $4,000. So, if I'm saying a 10% return, you have to tie up your money for that long. You're talking almost a year. I understand why people would, wouldn't want to bet a lot of future bets. But I enjoy betting the future bets, I think, uh, to give you an example, like just like a game like the game of the years they put up, like the Eagles versus the Rams, it doesn't go till October eighth, but they had a five minus five minus a dollar ten Eagles versus the Rams. I think the Eagles will be more than a five point favorite, so I'm willing to bet. Uh, you know, thank God I have the bankroll. I'm willing to bet anything they'll take uh, up to ten grand on on on, on that bet. I think by game time, I think I'll have value that line will be seven. So therefore, that alone is is literally a, a, a fifteen twenty percent advantage uh, of that bet alone. You can actually middle the game, come back the other side, and take the seven or seven and a half. And that's not what I want to do. I want to just bet the bad side, though. I'm not a middle or a scalper. But that's the difference between this and the stock market long term. Um, I understand the stock market's been very good to people over the years, and I'm not uh, discouraging anyone from doing that. But as far as sports goes, that's what I do with a lot of futures. I'll bet games of the year. I'll bet, I'll bet players. A lot of the players, I'll bet unders also, by the way. I like to bet unders. So passing yards, receiving yards, running back, Mm -hmm. season long now this is. So this is the entire season uh, long, like Pollard, under 1,100 yards for the season. I'll bet under. And, you know, you have a built-in advantage. There are one or two games if he misses. Well, he's probably not going to reach 1,100. And even if he plays the full 17, I, we still don't think, me and my team, he's going to reach 1,100. So that's, uh, that, that, I love betting unders. I don't bet overs. Bill Krakenberger joins us, crackwins.com, America's favorite sports gambler. I said this. when I know a lot of sports gamblers, as you know, in Vegas, and they're heavy on football. They're heavy on college football. They'll bet boxing, UFC, and now they're jonesing because they want to go over to baseball. 
And I know a couple of sharps who do baseball and they win because they know the umpires, they bet the weather, everything. I mean, they're embedded with baseball and it takes a lot to win. What do you say to the gambler who's got the ability to sit back? You know, i got to wait a few more weeks, a month or so for football, especially college. Hold on to your bankroll, but they say they got to chase a bet, so they're going to jump into Major League Baseball. That's not easy to do. Well, it, it really isn't. Uh, baseball's a grind. You know, one of the sharpest guys in the world that I know that, that literally owns a sports book in Curacao, he's a multi-multi, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. When they used to bet him, I'll just say what it is, it's Pinnacle Sports. So when they used to... They used to bet Pinnacle. Pinnacle looked forward to baseball almost more, almost as much as anything else, including soccer, because they make more money on baseball than they made even on a big sport like the NFL. Uh, you know, because it's every day and it's a grind and it, it's it's so hard to win day in and day out. There's so many things that can happen in a baseball game. You know, 162 games a year. And uh, but granted, I have had I've had success with baseball. Now this year, I'm not winning. I'm not losing, but I'm not winning this year. So I'm very transparent, and will tell you that. Other things, I've destroyed it. The NBA props up until the up until the finals here, absolutely destroyed it. Hit over sixty percent on NBA props for the year. But baseball has been a grind this year, and you know it, it's really tough after the All Star break. I'll more I look forward to preseason football where I have a bigger edge than I have on a baseball. Uh, baseball game or a baseball season. Now, granted, I'm still betting the baseball myself. I'm putting my own money behind it. That's what a lot of people don't realize. A lot of these people that sell bets and sell things, they don't have the heart, the balls, the money, and bankroll management skill sets to, to actually bet. I bet what I give out. I'm not going to ever give something out without knowing I'm going to put my own money on it. So baseball is a tough thing, but I look forward to preseason football here l- literally six weeks away. Bill Krakenberger joins us as we wrap it up. Why is horse race betting, thoroughbred horse racing, such a sucker bet? Instant gratification for the people. You know, even taking a further step, JT, I know guys that are some of the sharpest guys in the world. One guy's one of the sharpest college basketball handicappers in the world, wins six figures, had a seven-figure season four years ago, but yet he's broke. Why is he broke? Horses. Loves betting horses, loves the Del Mar, the Saratoga, the history, Santa Anita, Belmont, loves to bet these type of races because it's instant gratification. In 30 minutes, it's over. Now you have simulcast, in 30 seconds, it's over. You can go to the next track and the next track. And it's like the old Abbott and Costello routine. They're off. You lose. That's all I can tell you. You can't beat horse racing. <laughs> hey, Crack, I went to a friends and family opening of a brand-new restaurant in town the other night. might be one of the biggest restaurants ever in Vegas, and it was a comp. Not on the alcohol, but the food was a comp. So we asked for an itemized bill because we're going to tip, even though it's comped, on what the food would have cost if they asked us to pay for it. And you know that. You do that all the time. Now, comps are drying up. Uh, decades ago in Vegas, I'd go into a restaurant or I'd get a hotel comp. It was easy. I expected comps when I walked into a restaurant, and I would tip on that. What is happening now in the world of tipping? With inflation, what's happening in the world? Everything, restaurant seems to go up in price. you got a valet guy out front. What have you learned since we last talked about tipping from the East Coast to Vegas to the West Coast, and especially for our younger audience? They know how to tip on bottle service with a DJ in a nightclub because the tip is so ridiculous, it's on the tab. The bottle service girls are hammering you for 20%, and they just brought the bottle from the back to the front with some ice cubes. What are you telling us about tipping going forward? Well, the, the, the people don't know how to tip. It's just that it's an autograph. 
So it's an order of gratuity on those type of bottle service. You don't think these kids that are under 30 that are spending 2000 at the club are going to tip an extra $500, do you? know? So it's an auto grad. It's on there already. If you're going, you're spending 2000 well, it's automatically 2500 But they would never leave that tip without the auto grad. Now, I'm not even saying that that's even that, – to me, that's a, that's a scam. It's a sucker bet. I'd rather give 500 to someone on the street. I really would. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it, it, some of the things – but as far as, like, the casinos go, I think about my dad at resorts in Atlantic City when he first opened up. You know, you had to wear a jacket. So you had to go in. They rent you the jacket outside. You can't even go into the casino without a jacket. And, uh, and, and now you go in, and what are you tipping the waitress for a drink? Well, you're giving her $1. It's 1978, 1977. You're giving a dollar. Even in the early 80s, you're giving a dollar. You're giving the valet guy a dollar. Guess what they're doing in 2023? They're still giving a dollar. I mean, I can't even tell you the rule of seven. You know, inflation's gone up so much, it's supposed to be eight, ten bucks. I mean, but. Honestly, I understand a bottle of water. You give a couple bucks, two dollars for. But and the water bottles are. I'm not blaming the the casinos are are at fault here too. They give you little shot glasses of water. There's no more big bottles of water they give you. So I mean, I understand why someone would only want to give a buck or two. But you got to think of the girl, what they're getting, especially back east in Atlantic City and stuff. These girls are only getting six, seven dollars an hour. Then they're, they're not making the. They're not union like here where they're making fifteen an hour. But then again, even here, you're supposed to give more than a dollar. A bottle of water, you were giving a dollar thirty five years ago. Right. See, here's what I do. I, I just drink water. So I'm not even drinking hard drinks. But girl comes over with, I ask for two bottles of water or three, and I'll give her five bucks. And then, you know, they're, they're very happy with that because they're used to people giving a dollar. And, but as far as like getting a mixed drink and stuff, yeah, you're, they're supposed to be getting more. The valet guy outside, yeah, they, they, dollars aren't real no more. You got to give more than a dollar. Just look at life. Look what things cost and stuff. That's just what I feel. Now, I'm not telling people what to do. I'm just telling you it's the, the number's not a dollar anymore. That's all I'm saying. A crack last one. My dad says it, too. My dad's 85. He goes to a restaurant in Naples, Florida. At the end, he gives them the credit card. They come out with a machine, and they're saying you could tip 15, 18, 20. It's like they're hanging over my dad with a machine that's encouraging him with numbers to put in a certain number for gratuity. It's not like the old days where they'd walk away. My dad would put the bill down. He'd have another glass of wine. At the end, he always tips well, but now it feels like with the elderly, there's even pressure on him. They're standing over him with machines saying, tip right now, tip right now. What the hell's going on here? You're right. How about when you have to, now I know it's in Vegas, it's everywhere. I'm sure it's everywhere across the country. How about now you go to a restaurant, or you go to get takeout. I go to get takeout. All I'm doing is order and takeout. And then they're, they're saying, oh, would you like to tip, uh, you know, 10%, 20 or 30? No, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a bag of food. No. Do I tip at McDonald's? When I go to McDonald's, do I give them? They're doing the same job. They're tipping you. They're giving you food. Why not just tip them, too? I, I just don't get the tipping, what's going on. And trust me, I love to tip. I tip thousands, plural, with an S, thousands per month. I love giving out money to be helping people, and especially I eat out almost every night. I tip everybody. But this, the, 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 they really are putting pressure amongst the people when they hand you that machine and it says, you know, what would you like to tip? They're making you tip. First of all, that gets pulled probably. I want to give a girl or waitress or waiter, I want to give them the money I give them I want them to put in his pocket, not pull it amongst the restaurant staff who I don't even know if they're any good or not. So I tip based on my service. He's America's favorite sports gambler. No one in this space is as good as Bill Krakenberger. Follow him. Do it right now at Bill Crackman. Go to crackwins.com. Check out everything that he offers up. Good to talk to you, my friend. I hope to see you a few times this summer. I'm heading back to LBI at some point, going to Long Beach Island, or I'll catch you here in Vegas, and we'll make sure we have a great dinner. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, JT. Thank you. Bye. There he is, Bill Krakenberger.
I hope you enjoyed that. It's one of my favorite interviews that I do, and we do them a couple times a year, on how to tip, how to gamble, when not to gamble. It's crazy right now. I have a 21-year-old, excuse me, 22. My son just turned 20, so I'm out of the teenage business, and I see what they're doing. They're not gamblers because my wife and I aren't gamblers. That doesn't mean my kids can't gamble. I'm not going to stand over my 22-year-old and tell them this or that, but I see their friends when they visit from college. I see them. All they're looking at is gambling apps, and they're in their 20s, and they think they're smarter than everybody, and they don't have the money yet. Some kids have money, trust fund babies or whatever, so you can gamble. How are people ever going to make money gambling on sports? That's my business. Without listening to gentlemen like him, Jeff Sherman we put on from the Westgate, right? Lee Sterling. We're trying to put people on the radio who are entertaining and can help you win money because if not— it's just entertainment, and I go to concerts for entertainment. I'll spend two to six hundred bucks on a concert ticket because that's my entertainment. Because I'm not going to spend two to six hundred on gambling, but other people do, and they don't go to concerts like I do, and they just want to play video co- poker or bet sports. I'm fine with that. Bet with your wallet, not with your head. You're always going to think you're smarter than the athletes or the coaches or the managers. I'm yelling at Aaron Boone every night as a Yankee fan. If I was smart, I'd bet against my Yankees every night. I, I wouldn't have to come to work. I just every night I go, Aaron Boone's the manager of the Yankees. They're going to underachieve. Everybody's hurt, bet against them. Because, you know, I'm emotional. And I, as I tell everybody, if I gambled for a living, I would live under the bridge at the 215 in Town Center, and my wife would bring me soup every night. She wouldn't divorce me, but I'd be living under a bridge. She wouldn't allow me in the house because I think I'm smarter than everybody, and I would just lose money. Bet with your wallet, not your head. That was a fun hour. How about Kerry Bullbolts calling in, the president of the Vegas Golden Knights? Really appreciate that. You don't want to miss this. I'm telling you, Vinny Bonson, yours mailbag is on deck. It's going to be great.